Welcome to the Every Thought Matters podcast, where I get a chance to talk to people about their thoughts, their journeys, and have a little fun and hopefully learn something about ourselves along the way. So please click like, subscribe, leave a rating, leave a comment, and thank you so much for listening. It truly means a lot to me. Have a great day, and remember, every thought does matter. In this episode of the Every Thought Matters podcast, I catch up with Rhonda Souter. Rhonda is a career coach, health and wellness coach, and storyteller. We learn about complex PTSD, a revolutionary treatment called EDMR, and we learn Rhonda's story as she brought herself back from the brink. It's a powerful story, but has her set on a new path in helping others. Tune in as we talk about this, and somehow the TV show Crossing Jordan comes up as well. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Every Thought Matters podcast. I have Rhonda Souter here with me. She is a career and wellness coach. Welcome, Rhonda. Thank you. Hi, Kelly. It's nice to be here. Well, it's wonderful to, you know, for those who can't see, I get to see your face because I haven't seen you since Los Angeles, which has been a long time. Yeah. So how are things now for you? Now, um, a lot's happened since LA. Um, that was what, 2015, early 2016. So yeah. things are good, finally. Um, it's, it was an interesting journey. I got pretty sick. Um, I had a really, really bad flare up in 2015 in grad school, which required me to get an extension to complete my thesis, which eventually, three years later, was uh, able, finally happened. And um, I know you helped support that project. So you were in the loop a little bit on that. Um, yep. And then I was eventually, I think that the biggest kind of shift in my life was I was diagnosed with complex PTSD and PTSD in, um, gosh, what was it too late, late 2018. So right around my 40th birthday, and I have been in extensive recovery for that ever since. So, oh, there's your dog. Yep. And, um, but that really saved my life. I don't, you and I would not be talking right now if that diagnosis did not come about and I did not get the treatment that was required for me to actually be here today and, and get my life back. So that's, wow. that's been the biggest, yeah, biggest event of my life, probably in the last few years. It's, it's taken a lot of time and a lot of energy. What, what precipitated that? How did you say, gosh, I need to go and figure out what's going on with me. What yeah, precipitated that? Yeah, so if you recall, I know, like you said, it's been a while. My dog's going to start barking at your dog here in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, you know, I've had health challenges since about my mid-20s, right? So I started getting mm -hmm. sick overnight. It was like my life changed. Um, fast forward a few years later, I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, chronic mono, fibromyalgia, I had low-grade hypothyroidism, so just all kinds of things happening, right? But throughout the years, um, I eventually at least was able to kind of stabilize, but it would often get worse. I'd often get these bad flare-ups. And the type of symptoms I would be experiencing were like, it was like one day I could do something, the next day I couldn't. Literally like my mind, for example, I remember clearly working on a spreadsheet at work that I had worked on every month for reporting. I was an HR manager at the time of operations. And I sat there for three hours, at least trying to figure out how to do that spreadsheet because it was like all of a sudden I did not know how to do simple math and simple Excel spreadsheets anymore. Um, at times I would attempt to communicate and say words and I knew what I was trying to say, but I literally couldn't say them. So other people would have to complete my sentences for me. Um, so it was sort of like, logically, I knew I was capable of this stuff, but I still really couldn't do it. But, you know, I would eventually be able to cope and somehow manage, but I often left jobs. So I often left jobs because my health would flare up enough that I knew if I didn't make a different lifestyle choice, I may get worse. So fast forward to grad school and that stress of grad school, it was an intensive one year film program, right? Mm -hmm. Taking a shower literally felt like an accomplishment. And I remember going into it. I wasn't great. I was hundred percent, but I was like, you know, I can do this. I've got tools in place. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll navigate it. Well, by half three through the year, 
it was like, I had no control over my senses. Um, I, it, it got wow. really, really bad. Yeah. It got really, really bad. And I wasn't sure what was happening. My doctors didn't know what was happening, but they were very clear. Something was wrong, but no one could just really pinpoint what it was. So fast forward after grad school, I was taking medication essentially to just manage and to live and to function at all. But I still wasn't able to really hold down a full-time job. Um, I would have episodes that were extreme, um, meaning emotionally, um, you know, and I eventually got to the point where I really, and this is kind of going to get pretty dark, maybe serious, it's going to get serious here, but I got to the point where I understood why people might choose to commit suicide. I got to the point where I understood why people might choose to cut themselves because my emotions were so extreme that it was like, I really didn't know how to keep moving. I knew somewhere inside of me, I would, but it was like, oh, this is what this feels like. And then I started to have other symptoms such as walking into places I knew I'd been freaked we went to every day and they felt like I was in a, a plane, a different planet, like so foreign to me. A lot of times I felt like I was floating, like I wasn't real. So I was dissociating is what was happening to an extreme. So thankfully I had like Cinderella that I could touch to ground me. I would look in the mirror, didn't recognize myself. Like I knew again, logically I knew it was me, but it was like, I was looking at somebody that looked very different than me. Right. And so these were the symptoms that got really, really bad. So fortunately, the way it happened is that I was talking to a lady on the phone who had led a leadership uh, workshop for women that I had attended. And we were talking and, you know, she was asking me questions about being in front of people and being on stage and speaking. And I said, you know, I'm just I feel really, really a lot of fear around this. And she said, well, you know, you've never done it before. I would expect you to, to feel that way. And I said, but I have, like, I've done this before. This is stuff that I was able to do before. You know, at this point I couldn't even interview for jobs. I couldn't pick up the phone to call about my electric bill. Like I really wasn't functioning like an adult. Like it was really, really difficult. And you know, and I, at this point, I had a couple of master's degrees under my belt. And yet, so again, logically, I knew this wasn't making sense, but the reality was I couldn't work. I couldn't function at the level I was used to. And things just felt so foreign and, and odd to me. Right. So as she was listening to me. She said, and she has a, a PhD in psychology. And she said, I suspect you have PTSD. So it, you know, it resonated and I looked up some of the symptoms and I'm like, oh, yep, you know, A, B, C, and D. So I happened to know a trauma therapist through a wellness center that uh, my friend owns. So I called her, fortunately was able to get into her and she confirmed that I was experiencing complex PTSD and PTSD, which complex PTSD is really a variation of PTSD, but the result of it is what, what causes it is sustained ongoing trauma, often from childhood. So you can't necessarily pinpoint the origin of the trauma like you can with like PTSD. Yeah, so, that makes sense. Yeah. So, so uh, that's a, a long story. All, no, that's why I have a podcast because that's a story. That's what I want to hear because not that I want to hear people going through crap, but I like the fact that you're sitting there today being able to tell this without almost any emotion it was more facts that you were bringing forward to me that tells me however you have dealt with this complex PTSD I can't say that complex PTSD has been working for you very well because you were very fact-based through that and I was I was feeling a lot of emotion but I'm an empath by nature so I felt a lot of emotion for what you were going through but you brought it forward to me in a, and my audience that in a very pinpoint fact by fact way. And I never heard of complex PTSD, meaning you don't have a root cause. Like I have abandonment issues because my parents were divorced when I was eight. That's, you know, that that's a root cause to my abandonment issues. But complex PTSD, you don't know where it all came from. 
Well, that's, you do actually. It's just what I meant by that. Let me clarify that a bit. Um, yeah, please. So, yeah. So com complex PTSD does have an origin cause. It does have a root cause, but because, because it's a result of ongoing sustained trauma that often doesn't show up till later, it's more difficult to go back to that origin. Cause like, for example, and I haven't really talked about this. This is the first time I actually talked about this, like publicly on some, on a, on a, something like this. So, mm -hmm. but just to, to share a little bit in, in my Please. case, for example, so I, my complex PTSD, the origin started at around the age of four. Right. Um, I was sexually abused between the age of four and 11 ish. And so it was ongoing sustained trauma. However, at that very young age, a four-year-old doesn't understand what's happening. Now your body knows, your system knows this isn't okay. This isn't right. right. But, you know, and, and, um, and just to be clear, I have, a, I have emotion here. I can talk about it very factually, but if you're Emp emp empathetic like I am, yes, you're probably feeling this emotion that's coming through because it's also not just about my story. This is a universal story. This happens right. to so many people, which is I why know. I'm getting more vocal and, and able to share it more. Unfortunately, it's not who I am. So I can talk about it from a more factual perspective. And I have done a shitload of work <laughs> to get here today. Yeah, we've all, I'm proud of <laughs> yeah. you too. Yeah, well, thank you. But, um, it's, it's definitely not an easy path, uh, but, you know, once you go through it, you don't have to go back. And so you take back to the story, you take this young child who doesn't understand what's happening. So the brain's going to be intelligent and do the best it can to help that child, like, survive this trauma that's happening. So one way that it could do that is to dissociate. So we're going to lock this way far away so the child can survive. And so that's really intelligent for the brain to do that. However, what happens is over and over as trauma continues and compounds, the brain will continue to use that pattern because that's oh, what it's wow. used to. So as a child, it's a survival mechanism that's brilliant. If you take that into adulthood, though, and you're trying to live a fulfilling life, everything that's protecting you from that trauma, eventually the stress will get too much and all those kind of pieces of trauma will flow back in. And that's what was happening for me. And this is a very high level discussion about this. But when I, I my symptoms got really bad at 40, it was because I felt like a 10 year old looking at a 40 year old. I felt like a four year old doesn't know how to call, you know, to talk about an electric bill or to go to a, an interview. So what was happening is literally this trauma, which they'll call it trauma time, was sort of taking over my present day self, my present day brain. And, and so it's a very fascinating, um, it's, it's a fascinating experience. And it's, it's, like I said, it's an intelligent mechanism. The brain's amazing. It's just at some point we have to, it can develop some, you can develop something like PTSD or complex compound PTSD. And at that point it can be detrimental. That's what leads to like suicidal ideation. And anxiety, panic attacks, depression, a lot of times the root of that is in childhood trauma. We just don't know how to label it that way or how to treat it that way. Unless you're, unless the, the person that's, that's talking to the person with the symptoms really understands trauma and is trauma informed. Yeah, I agree with that. And yeah, I, you know, I've had my own share of childhood trauma. I've not talked much about it on the podcast, but I've, you know, abandonment issues and all that stuff, but I've done a lot of therapy and it's not even remotely as traumatizing as what you have gone through. But I, again, I don't do comparisons because that's just not healthy for me. And mm -hmm. by that said, I've gotten to a point where now I look at my eight-year-old self and my eight-year-old self looks at what I've done and what I've become to just cheer me on every day. Like literally I'll, I'll have these moments where this eight-year-old me, which is when the trauma happened, comes out and just starts cheering me on. Like, and it's nothing, you know, gosh, PTSD and like that. I, now I understand, cause you explained it in a way that most anybody, any lay person could understand. And I appreciate that. that that's work that 
time alone on my podcast for that because I know it's cliche to say raising awareness, but it, in this case, I'm so grateful that I'm giving you a platform to raise a little more awareness for this because this, for you to be, I did not know you what you were going through when we were hanging out in LA and you were going through film school. I had no idea that this was going on with you. It, you know, but that's what we all do. We all show that brave face to everybody, but the, ourselves, huh? Yeah, we attempt to. We, we yeah, and and yeah. honestly, to be yeah, and to be honest, like I didn't necessarily know what was happening. I just knew what was happening wasn't normal, and I didn't know what to do about it because I wasn't getting like the support right that that yeah. I needed to get better. Right. I, I was doing the best I could to cope. But and back to your point, I just wanted to say about like mm-hmm. comparisons and stuff. I absolutely agree. I think comparisons are an unhealthy approach to life in general. Um, we're each on our own path and. That's important. And also when it comes to trauma, especially childhood trauma, I mean, there is not, it's not a competition. It's not like, you know, I don't think anybody's trying to get on the stage of, you know, my trauma was worse than yours type of situation. Now, is there varying, varying degrees of trauma? Yes. But how each person and how each child responds to trauma is different. So I don't think we're ever looking at apples to apples. And it's really important to keep that in mind because it's not a competition. It's not a competition at all. No. It's not a competition at all. It's not a competition anybody of us ever wants even a participation trophy for. None of us ask for it. You know, and that's what I think about with children in general is they don't get a choice of who their parents are and they don't get a choice of where they grow up. Mm-hmm. And you have to look at it that way. And then that, a child is born, that's their parents, whether you know your parents or not, whether you're living in New York City or you're living in Iowa where I grew up. You know, that's, that wasn't my choice. You know, it's mm-hmm. been my choice. I would have grown up in a big city in New York City. That would have been awesome as a kid. <laughs> but I grew up in Iowa around cornfields, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. But that's why every trauma is a little bit different because we all come from different places, different, even different languages and different speech mm-hmm. patterns. All that stuff factors into how that trauma affects one person. True. And the support system they have at home. Um, oh, yeah. Of support system. You know, I had, I think one of the, and I asked my therapist one time, I remember asking her, you know, why, like, why did my choice of brain decide that, it, you know, needed to lock this away and, and create this dissociation to such an extreme? And, you know, because, um, you know, it's easy for people to look at you and go, well, this happened to, a, B, and C, and they didn't have this response sort of thing. And I want to be like, and you don't know the whole story. You don't know what they're really experiencing. You don't know all their background. And for me, and I, like I said, I asked my therapist and she did say what she finds is mm-hmm. um, children who, if they have a support system of some sort at home, especially, then they're able to better cope with their trauma. Right. And then therefore they may they may get earlier intervention or they at least have that support. So the trauma doesn't need to kind of be hidden or um, be thought dissociated away, compartmentalized to the extreme that the child doesn't have that memory anymore, sort of. And, you know, but if the home that that child is living in is also very dysfunctional and chaotic, they're not getting any support at all. So their only choice sometimes is to dissociate and be quiet. Cause that's, they're not, they're, they are, they're trying to survive at home while sure. also trying to survive outside of the home where bad things are happening too. So in my case, I did have a, you know, I grew up in a, a home that, um, was, uh, I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. So that was happening when I was a little kid as well. So, yeah. So you understand that there's a lot of chaos and there's a lot of, a lot of challenges that come with that too. So it was, it yep. was an interesting it. I, I'm also very, you know, not, I'm not negating any of that. It was very difficult. And at the same time, at least I think what, at least part of what helped me is I did always know I was loved. So no matter what, no matter what, gosh, hard times or really scary times were happening, I did always know I was loved. And I think that really did help me at least navigate some aspects of, of a lot of that trauma. Um, to to be okay. Uh, obviously, the end result as an adult was far from okay. Now today it is, and I can now talk about it and help other people 
um, hopefully not experience what I experienced because it really, I did go and diagnose pretty much my entire life. This was not something that just happened. There are very clear signs that I was experiencing PTSD throughout pretty much since high school onward. No one, no one caught it. And in fairness, we really, really didn't start talking about PTSD until the eighties. Um, sure. after that came back from, um, war. And then we really didn't start talking about other people developing PTSD until what the nineties and two thousands. So yeah. it's still sort of a young, you know, we're still a ways away from really understanding trauma and how it really does impact the brain. Yeah. And the other part about trauma and everybody is a little different. And I just, a second ago, I was trying to Google the permutations on, you know, we have DNA, which is the different combinations is like about 5 billion. So you got to think about that. Everybody's double helix is just a little bit different. So we're all going to experience things just a little bit differently. And, but one of the most beautiful things I love about life is people are mirrors. Because mm -hmm. when you just talked about the fact that you actually recognize that you had love. And I looked back at my, you know, childhood trauma. And I looked at that and I thought, yeah, I was loved too. Absolutely. And I just used my coping mechanism was, you know, being nice to people, making sure people were my friends. That was all. So mm -hmm. you just mirrored that back to me and helped me realize that and sort of put a little pin in that one too, because that helped me as well. Because I was, you know, I had a two parent household, even though it was my dad and my stepmother, I had a two parent household, two incomes. And, you know, my dad was a teacher and he wasn't very, you know, he didn't, make a lot of money, but we never had worried about food on the table. So mm -hmm. I had a lot of good stuff there. And you just by talking about what you've gone through made me realize that. Good. Yeah, it's, it's, it takes some time. I think it takes maturity to get to a point where you're like, you know, you, you have the good, you have the bad. Um, and yep. a lot of times, and I, you know, we can say silver linings, we can call it what we want, but I think there is, there is growth in all the challenges, right? So now they yeah. do talk, I don't know if you're familiar with the term post-traumatic post growth. No, um, what's that? Yeah, yeah, so there's a term that they're using now called post-traumatic growth, and it is, you know, related to that, you know, we go through, we go, we grow, we grow when we go through trauma, right? And hopefully, right. We, hopefully we get support we need for it. And my, my therapy and my treatment, because I, I think it's important to mention, um, is it was called EMDR and it still is. It's eye movement sensitization reprocessing. Um, and it what it does is it actually helps the brain process the trauma. It truly is a treatment. It's not talk therapy. It's not, it's a, it's a phase process that helps the brain recognize the trauma. And, and you, so you kind of are reliving the trauma a lot of times again, but again, it's helping the brain create a memory from the trauma so that it no longer impacts you when, when present day things happen to trigger past events, that's not going to happen anymore because that trauma is now a memory. It's no longer a trauma. So I learned that like a trauma, like a memory has a beginning, a middle and an end. Trauma okay. doesn't. Trauma has a beginning and a okay. middle. So what EMPR does is it helps you, it helps that trauma have an end so the brain now knows it's no longer happening. Wow. What, that is great, especially for a lot of people with PTSD. They know they got, went through a trauma, whether it, and there's PTSD various forms, you know, whether you're in the military or, you know, even somebody who loses a child, you know, that's PTSD. And there's a way to help you kind of put closure, get closure with something that, traumatic i think that's wonderful that that exists how did you find out about that or did this person in the trauma center know about this and come up with it so my so fortunately um you know it, it was uh, an angel that i um i mean i consider my my therapist truly an angel in my life um she did have extensive experience in the emdr now it wasn't the first time i was introduced to it Actually, back in Houston, um, when we were back in Houston at the same time, um, mm -hmm. 
I had went to a therapist there. He was one of the first therapists. I didn't know this until later, but he was one of the very first therapists to actually implement EMDR into his practice. So he actually used EMDR on me some then to help desensitize um, a bad breakup I was going through. Um, so I was familiar with it at least. So um, my therapist today, that was the treatment that she prefers to use in working with trauma. And it also ties in, so it's, there's like a, some people kind of do an integrative approach and there's a couple other therapies that come in there, but you also look a lot at the family systems approach and then, um, cause it, it logically helps to make sense about how kind of EMDR works, at least for me. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's a very specific therapy. Uh, Shapiro is the individual who created it. It's a relatively new therapy. Um, but those who use it and use it correctly, anybody I've talked to who uses it has said it's a game changer in their therapy practice. Like it's, it's a game changer. Wow. Mm-hmm. So now you've gone through like that, you know, I personally, I, from a film perspective, I thought you were one a, a great mind in that space, but now you're, you're doing <laughs> health and wellness coaching and Taking, and I talked about this on, I record podcasts before this with my friend Denise, talks about finding a lesson in everything that we've gone, that we've gone through. And mm-hmm. it seems like you have, through all of this, have found lessons to not only help yourself, but help others. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really ready to, to stop needing to learn lessons. I think I'm, I'm kind of, I'm at my cap. I think I'm, I'm, I'm like God universe. I'm, I'm done. I will right. use what I've learned for good. Can we please stop sending lessons my way? Um, but no, and I still am in the storytelling realm. So actually if, if I was really going to define myself, I know we talked about this right before we started, but I am a career wellness coach and I'm also very much a storyteller and truth seeker. That's still storytelling is first and foremost who I am. So whether that's through film or writing, blogging, I'm a storyteller. And I actually tie that into my coaching as well. Cause I think if we start with our stories, then that's a great place to start to help us really understand who we are and what path or what map to lay out for us in front of us based on that story. Um, but back to your, your original question there about, um, kind of some of the life lessons and how I can share that with others, I think was what you were Mm -hmm. asking about. Yeah. So, um, where do I start with that? It's a great question. (laughs) Um, I'm like, "Hmm, where do I start (laughs) Kelly? (laughs) Um, yeah, it's all good. Well, I think first if I, that means to start with the trauma and PTSD. So one thing about this that I, I've, I knew I needed to get into treatment to get to have a life. Like I can't describe what it felt like to watch my dreams and my life literally over and over again, like just wash away in front of me. Like I really didn't know if I would be able to live the life that I thought I would be able to live. And that was really, really um, difficult. And what I would say is for me, it was never an option not to make an effort to get better. And I understand, and um, in my experience now, I understand some people just are a little too afraid of going through that, experiencing that trauma, kind of living it and and having to go through that pain to get better, or they're kind of afraid of what they might discover if they go to treatment, um, they don't want to know. Um, I've also had the experience where people are often afraid of their emotions or really afraid of fear. And what I would say to that is that it's okay. Uh, emotions aren't anything to fear. They are transient. Um, they inform us. They can, now I'm not saying that there are moments when they are very overwhelming and powerful. Um, like I said, like in those moments where I was on my kitchen floor and I'm like, how do I stand up? Will I even be able to keep moving? I understand how all consuming they can be. Often what got me through those moments was though, knowing that they were transient, knowing that I didn't know how long it would be, but it wasn't going to be forever. So I would say that, you know, it's worth it to have your life back. It's worth it to live a fulfilling life. And if you go through 
the work and you do the work, it's for me, it's so worth it to be able to truly live a more fulfilling life that is an integrated you, that it's you who's showing up every day without all that shit in the background running, without all that drama and energy draining you. Because the thing is, it's always there. It's always there. So you can choose not to work on it. You can choose, and that's okay. This isn't judgment. If somebody says, hey, I don't want to go there. Okay, I get it. I get it. Um, I would also just say it, in my experience, is worth it to be able to say I have my life back and I feel like myself and, um, you know, emotions aren't something to be feared, that it's okay to navigate those emotions and to get the support. And the other thing I would say is if you, and I have experienced this and I get it, sometimes it's difficult to talk when we're feeling, talk about our emotions or how we're feeling, especially if we're feeling suicidal or having thoughts around that. And sometimes, unfortunately, people do look at you like you're crazy or they try to fix you. And what I would say to that is to keep asking for help. Just if you know that you need support and you want that support, keep asking over and over to different people because eventually you'll ask the right person and they'll be able to support you. And it'll make all the difference in the world, but to not give up, to keep, to keep trying, to keep asking so you can have your life back. So that's like, you know, really focused from that mental health, trauma, psychology perspective. Um, uh, Any, I guess I'm thinking through, is there any other, like specifically um, any other maybe areas where you'd like for me to talk about that maybe I've learned some lessons outside of um, well, because- I think I think in your storytelling, because I've read most of your blogs, and they're really short, and I encourage everybody to read them because they're a they're very well written, but b I know they're very transparent too, right? Mm-hmm. And I love those, and I think that's honest to goodness. I think that's therapy, and I think uh, you're a wonderful writer, and I love the fact that you said to yourself. I'm a storyteller. I think mm-hmm. that's a great way to not, not just from a marketing and branding, but just it helps you go, I got a story to tell. And that's why I'm a, a, a career and wellness coach. Cause obviously from a career perspective, you've done HR, you did HR for quite a long time and wellness, mm-hmm. you know, you're a complex, you know, is it a complex or is it a compound, a complex PTSD survivor? And you've got a story to tell and you wrap all of that together. Who doesn't want to work with you to help them become, you know, better in their careers or better in their storytelling even because the story we tell ourselves truthfully is the only story that really matters because it's those thoughts that you're in your head. Those those are the ones that you tell yourself. Those are the ones Mm -hmm. that you have to either change or you keep telling the same story. You're going to keep reliving the same trauma. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah. I love this. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it is true. I do write. My stories, I guess, can be relatively transparent. Um, and I've been writing. I didn't even realize it until I go back over my posts for the last 20 years. I've been writing about chronic illness. I've been writing about, you know, a challenging times, relationships. Like, it's uh-huh. peppered through so much of my content, right? And so now right. I really... You know, I write about the human condition now. It's like a reflection of the challenges we go through, what the human condition, um, being human, you know, and what that looks like and how we learn. I think I think stories are what inspire us. They help us grow. They they teach us, right? They they, they connect us. That's what connects us. And and that's not just in the written word. That's through movies, films, uh, visual art, photos, uh, all kinds of stories. I think. So I think it's it's also essential that we own our stories. And, and if we have any shame tied to any aspect of our story, that we figure out what that is and get support so that we can walk away from that shame. Because shame is not going to support us in our growth. Yeah, shame is, and I'm, I'm a survivor of shame and, you know, still carry a little bit of it around. But if you allow shame to grow, you're going to allow your darkness to grow. And I heard somebody on another podcast say, uh, 
she was in the entertainment industry because she didn't want her shadow to to grow. That's the, that was her sole purpose was to be in the entertainment industry just so her shadow wouldn't grow. Because that was a means of therapy for her. I just I thought that is absolutely brilliant. But I know a lot of people, and you and I both have traversed that entertainment industry and know a lot of people. That's they don't know it, but that's what they're doing. And I love that, and I support it. And I the arts can help change our view of the world. And the fact that you're writing stories and telling your story on my podcast and writing about it on your blog and posting content that's relevant to it, I love it because. We need to hear that story. We need to know that we can make it because there's days where we have that, that moment, that dark moment where that shadow is overlooking us. But we need to yeah. know that there are amazing people like you out there that can do it. Oh, it's very kind of you to say thank you. Yeah, it's, it's been a great to be on here. Like I said, I, this is the first time I've really openly talked about it from this perspective. Sure. So I yeah, so I appreciate that and the safe space to share and for others to hear. Um, thank you. Oh, and the other thing too is they do, I don't know if you've seen on my site, I do have, and maybe at some point we can talk about this uh, in the future, but there's a, a story that I wrote um, and it's going to be a performing piece, but it's called 40 Years to Finding Me. And and it, it's, um, it is essentially, it's written in third person. It's a series of monologue tied together with poetry and song. And it is about the challenges of going undiagnosed with complex PTSD and other chronic illnesses and living through that from a um, third person perspective. Uh, so that mm -hmm. is actually today, I've been editing that today. So hopefully that will be available at some point soon and is hopefully something that will be useful and of value to others to to navigate and learn about um, how it works, different types of support from an entertaining perspective as well. But yeah. Well, I think the value just, and I'll get on my little soapbox, but I do this podcast and I don't make any money off of it. And that's not the point. I know eventually I will. I really do. I know that that's what's going to happen. But right now I do it because I love hearing people's stories. I, and I love hearing yours. And I've had funny people on and we've laughed and whatever. And I just do this because this is what I love to do. So when you, you write stories, it's more about the love of doing the writing and maybe the therapy for yourself. And then if other people like my podcast, that's great. But if they don't, I'm, I haven't lost any sleep on that over that, which is kind of weird for me because I, I'm a recovering people pleaser, as I always say, I'm, it's not a good person to be in, in the entertainment business when I was, but whatever. But I do this because this is so much fun for me. This is, you and I've been on sets before, and this is like being on a set for me. The same endorphin I rush I get. I know it's quite fun. And it's fun to hear other people's stories. And I also learn from my about myself through talking through other people, because I believe everybody is a mirror. Everybody reflects back, whatever they're reflecting back to you, whether it's an angry person, they're going to reflect back some anger inside of you, but they're happy. They're going to reflect back your happiness. It, that's just how it works. And that's what mm -hmm. you draw. And I draw so much goodness. This, this is a blast for me. Yeah, good. Yeah, I can tell it seems like it is. And it's also sometimes what I hear you saying is that it's like partly about the creation and the process of it. Um, yes. And, and that, that has an impact in and of itself. So us connecting and, um, just even having the, the conversation around it, wherever it goes from here, it's already served a purpose is what I hear you say. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it, yeah, icing on the cake is wherever it goes from here, that, as far as I'm concerned. Because yeah. the only other thing I truly want to talk about, because this is probably one of my favorite LA memories, was when we went to that little place called The Mint and we saw Joe Hennessy. Do you remember? Oh, going? yes. Right. I do. Right. I remember. Well, I, I stayed until the show was over and I, it's funny because I found out about the show via Twitter because I was following Jill on Twitter <laughs> and yeah. And also nice. I'm waiting for my, my tab. You had already gone home. Cause I think you had an early uh, cl class the next morning, I think. 
something like that. Yeah, I hadn't been feeling really well that evening either. I remember, um, I remember that too. But yes, I left yeah. a little early. Yeah, I thought I thought you had class or something. But anyway, the show ended, and there's two things about it. And I didn't know, remember this, but I, it was pointed out to me. But uh, Max Weinberg, the drummer for the E Street Band, played it, set in on that, on that hmm. session. And that was cool. And then all of a sudden the show ended and I'm waiting for my tab and I'm like, come on, give me my tab. I want to, there was this line going backstage and it was maybe 25 people. I'm like, give me my tab, signed the tab, got in line. I was like last in line and Jill knew who I was from Twitter. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And it was just so funny because there's, I have one song that I, I've written a short film for that I told her about in that moment. And I was just <laughs> like, that was always like my magical LA moment because everybody knows Jill from uh, Crossing Jordan. I mean, that which is a seven yeah. season or something like that. And she, that was a spinoff of one of those. Uh, it wasn't the CSI versions. It was the other one. But anyway, I can't remember the. It's one of those New York City crime cop dramas. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't realize but, it was a spinoff. I remember her being on that, but I didn't know it was a spinoff of anything. Yeah, because she was an Emmy on one of the shows, and then that got that role basically got spun off into her own show because she was that good. And anyway, that was like one of my fondest memories of LA, and you have you're part of that because yeah. I knew I wanted to go, and I'm like, all right, I'll, and yeah, I knew you were in town, so we went, and that was so much fun. Yeah, it was fun. I do I do remember that. Yep, and we were really close to the stage. Yes. We had a great yeah. vantage point. It was a small little venue. It was very, yeah, it was very nice. intimate. It was very it was. intimate, very small, like maybe a hundred people grand total in that whole place. Yeah. And I still listen to her music, but that I, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up that memory of just hanging out with you and listen to Jill and then actually getting to meet her and all of that afterwards. Yeah. Kind of cool. I should have hung out a little longer, but um, that was really cool. Yeah. yeah, thank you. You were the you were the instigator. You were the you invited me to that. So I remember. I remember trying to find parking and getting inside. Oh, yeah. yeah, I remember it all. It was very cool. Yeah. It was a good night. It was a great and parking there was because that was like a block, but about, about a mile from my house. So I actually walked walked there. Okay, it wasn't that no. far in LA? You know, it's not like down here. I'm down in Rockport. Did you know I was in Rockport, Texas? I did now. Yeah. I was going to ask, how long have you been there? I noticed that you know, where you're located um, based on like social, your social accounts. That's how I know, knew, but. Yeah. I've been here a couple of years. I literally left LA cause it just cost too much and had just got tired of people in LA climbing on my back, trying to get what, where they wanted to go instead of, you know, mm -hmm. connecting and uplifting everybody else. But. Got it. Yeah. I had one friend here. I had no job, no place to live. And I, packed everything up in a rental van and moved out here and now I'm doing pretty well awesome do you and you like living in Rockport yeah it's so I mean it's it's a very very small town Rockport Fulton which is basically two little cities grand total of 10,000 people so it's 10, small 10,000 people mm -hmm. not very many people everybody knows everybody and you know this I mean you're out east and you know what small towns are like. So it's like that. Yeah. I'm in a town of 1,200 people. So, <laughs> right. So, you know, it's just like that. Yes. That's kind of like where exactly. I grew up. Very small yep. and everybody knows everybody. One thing you say to one person, they're going to know. So, Probably so. There's yeah. the advantages and disadvantages of living in small towns. So, but it's nice. It's nice to have, right? I, I think so. It's nice to have the best of both worlds to, feel comfortable living in a small town area and having that kind of as the home base and then living in cities as well and having that experience. So I'm, I'm grateful that I've had that experience to live in cities, but also feel really great living in, especially with everything going on in the world right now, like, you know, right. being right here in the country, in the beauty, I'm absolutely okay with that. I'm home. I'm good with it. There's one thing I've taught myself over the years, and I started teaching myself this in LA after I moved out there in 2014, is that everything is temporary. So doesn't mean like I have a, one of my friends who's convinced me to move here, and I'm like, how you go? How long are you gonna stay there? I'm like, I don't know. I don't care. 
as long as I'm going to stay here as long as I'm happy. If I'm not, I start being unhappy, I'll go. I can do that. You know, and I've done, like you, I've done the big cities. I've done Houston, you know, for 14 years, a little podunk town in Iowa called Calendar, Iowa for 400 people, Omaha, which isn't that big. And now I live right, you know, 30 minute drive from Corpus Christi. So I can go to a big city with all the big city trappings. Less traffic, though, than L.A. Oh, good Lord. But mm. I don't miss that traffic to save my life. No, I don't miss traffic, period. I'm okay with tra no traffic. Yeah. Like, so no matter where I go. Right. Yo, go ahead. No traffic. So where you've got a career and wellness coaching platform going on. You're also a storyteller. What else mm -hmm. is going on with you? What else? Um, well, I'm also a wedding officiant. So I just married yeah. my brother and his partner um, a couple of weeks oh. ago, and then I was asked to do another wedding coming up. So a few years ago, um, some friends in Texas asked me if I would marry them in Austin. And so it's the first time I became ordained. And she had, she, her name's Kim, had encouraged me to do it. Like, you know, like you'd be good at this. And, you know, I just never have thought about it off and on. But here recently when I was like, hey, do you mind writing me, you know, a testimonial? She was all excited to know that I was finally going to kind of make a thing of it. And I said, well, I've been told that people here need officiants that are non-denominational and open. And so I was like, well, it doesn't hurt to put myself out there doing that. So um, I have another wedding coming up in September that I'm officiating. So, and I enjoy it. You know, it's a good day. It's a good day for the couple and it's fun to support them in that way. And so that's great. So I have that going on. I'm also, um, I don't know if you know that I'm in a master's of counseling program. No. So, yeah. So I just finished residency last week, um, for it's a master's of counseling education program in marriage and family counseling is the area of specialty. So it would qualify me if I chose to, it would qualify me for a license, licensure as a professional counselor, as a marriage family therapist. I didn't necessarily pursue this to get licensure as my end goal. I actually really am just always been fascinated with the human condition, always wanted to do a psychology degree. And I chose this over psychology because it is more practical. You, you learn a lot of the same things, but you could get licensure if you wanted. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm a, a little over halfway in. So I still have to do a practicum and two internships to graduate. So I should graduate sometime early 2023. So I've got Very that nice. going to you. Yeah. So I do that through Lamar University um, out of mm -hmm. Texas in Beaumont. Yep. Um, so most of my classes are online. Um, got that. Uh, we've got the coaching business. And I have been working. I was also, like you said, I have a corporate background. Um, I was working as a communications manager for an a, for a mortgage company. Mm -hmm. And I chose um, to just, I, that, it wasn't a long-term fit for me for personal reasons. Um, supporting people doing these other things that we've talked about are just more aligned with what I'm here for, I believe. So, um, yeah. so I'm, I'm doing some part-time work still as far as writing is concerned. And I do have still my writing clients that I do writing work for. So my main right. focus is the career wellness coaching, uh, like I said, my counseling program, storytelling in general, and the 40 years to finding me piece that's in the process of being finalized. And then um, outside of that, just some ghostwriting for clients as well. So. Very nice. I, about four or five episodes ago, I had uh, Dr. Nisi Moron, and who's a, has a PhD in marriage and family counseling. And now she's okay. a, also has a life coaching institute as well. And then she's out of Dallas and she was just like tremendous. I encourage you to listen to that podcast just because maybe that's, she's somebody you might want to like listen to at least. And what, cause she's got that background. She's like you, she's like, has that fascination about the human mind and the human condition. And you obviously do, which I, cause the way you described everything you've gone through, you, it was painful and it was traumatic, but yet part of your brain was trying to go, well, what your brain was, it sounded to me at least like your brain, you were trying to figure out what neurons were firing for this to happen. It almost felt like you were trying to figure out how your brain was working. And now it seems like you have that fascination, which is really, really cool. And mm -hmm. I think that'll serve you well, no matter where you go, especially in storytelling, because you know, the human condition, you can become a great storyteller. Mm -hmm. And you True. obviously do. Yeah. Cause well, thank you. 
Well, to write dialogue is hard because you got to know how people think and feel, and that's hard mm-hmm. to do. I'm trust me, I've tried and it doesn't. I'm not very good at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like writing dialogue. I don't know how great I am at it. I've been told I'm okay at it, but I do, I do, I do write dialogue okay. I think I think I'm okay, and I'm also that person though that like I don't get really attached to my stuff. So I like I can cut things here and there. Like a lot of like directors and writers are very like. But we don't want to cut that scene. It's so good. And I'm like, ah, get rid of it. If it's not going to add value to the story, let's just cut it. Maybe I can use it somewhere else. So I'm, I'm like, I'm not like super attached to my creative works, right? Like they're my babies, but I'm not like, you know, we got to make the baby better. That's fine. <laughs> so. Right. Well, that, that'll serve you well as, you know, along the storytelling, because that's a lot of what a lot of people have hangups about, no matter what they write, whether it's a, you know, in a financial piece, or if it's a, you know, a screenplay, most people take that stuff and feel like it's their baby, and they don't want to let it go. And for you not to have, I mean, you have a certain amount of attachment to it, but not a lot. That's really good. That's not easy to do. No, and you know that most people don't have that. Yeah. So do you want to tell everybody how we can find you? And I'm, you know, go from there. Yeah, great. Thank you. Um, so I can be reached. Um, you can go to my website. I have two websites, actually. Um, if you go to rondasuter.com, it's R-O-N-D-A-S-U-D-E-R.com um, mm-hmm. or rondasutercoaching.com. Um, and if you go to rondasuter.com, you will see a link for the coaching there as well. You'll also find some resources for mental health. That's where you'll find my blog and the wedding mm-hmm. officiant information. So again, that's rondasuter.com. I can also be texted 832-646-3565. So text or call there is fine as well. That's my business number. And the email is Rhonda at RhondaSuter.com. That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. I'm so grateful. I know it's hard to talk about, but you came out and you came out blazing. You did a really good job today. And I appreciate you actually coming on and talking about your story. I think more people need to hear it. And in the middle of this podcast, I have about like three people that I, I'm going to text. I'm like, hey, you probably should have her on. Oh, that'd be great. Thank you. so much. I appreciate it. Well, I was like I said, I was really looking forward to it. I really appreciate you reaching out. Um, it's been a lot of fun and it's been a privilege to be on. So I look forward to, to remaining connected. So it's really good to see you again. Been yeah, too long. Too. I'm really proud of you. Yeah, thank Very you. Perfect. Likewise. All right. I'll talk to you later then. All right. Bye, take good care.